Who would I most like to have a one-to-one with? Martin Luther King. I just want to do God's will. I'd asked him if there was one incident that drove him to become part of the civil rights movement. And did he realize how much he frightened those who opposed him? Most of all, if I could have a one-to-one with him, I'd ask him how he maintained his principle of peaceful protest in the face of such provocation. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Who would you most like to have a one-to-one with? Our mobile phone service gets people talking. Good morning. Back in the 1990s, the mobile phone network One to One launched a series of adverts asking people who would you most like to have a One to One with. A number of celebrities took part. Chris Evans, the TV presenter, chose John Lennon. Kate Moss, the model, chose Elvis Presley. And as we've just seen before this, Ian Wright, the footballer, chose Martin Luther King Jr. as the person he would most like to have a One to One with and to learn and to gain some wisdom and insight from. It struck me recently that as part of a a leadership team of a church that's been going seven and a half years now, if I was to choose to have a one-to-one with someone from history and just gain some wisdom and insight, do you know what? I quite possibly would choose the Apostle Paul. He was just an amazing man of God, this arch church planter and apostle who left just an amazing legacy of ministry, having started out actually as an enemy of God's church. There's so much that I'd love to ask Paul right now as we look back as a church on a year of not being able to meet together and as we start to look forward, hopefully soon, to coming out of lockdown and starting to gather again. I wonder what would Paul's advice and encouragement be to us? To Freedom Church Liverpool in 2021, what would he say to a church about to emerge from lockdown? A church in a culture where the beliefs that we hold are becoming increasingly scorned by society, where the pressure is increasing all the time to adapt to the world around us and to forget the Bible. Even this week, we've seen a political leader in the UK forced to apologise profusely because he dared to visit a church that promoted a biblical view of sexuality. Cancel culture is in full swing We're told that our beliefs as Christians are outdated, irrelevant, even untrue. How do we respond to this? I'd love to ask Paul, help us Paul, how do we go about living as Christians in this context? Now, unfortunately, time travel isn't possible. So a one-to-one actually with Paul is very unlikely. But you know what? We do have the next best thing because Paul was a prolific writer. He loved to write to churches and to church leaders to encourage and sometimes rebuke them in order to help them to grow and to stay the course of journeying with God. Now, mostly Paul would write to churches that he knew, places where he had actually been the person to start the church, off to plant the church, or else churches that had been already going, but he'd visited them and spent some serious quality time with the people there and got to know them personally. All of those letters are so helpful for us today. They're littered throughout the Bible and they're so good for us. There's so much truth in them, but they don't quite feel like the kind of one-to-one attention that I crave that I'd love to have with Paul. I'd love to sit and hear Paul's heart for Freedom Church Liverpool, a church where Paul didn't already have some direct 
personal involvement with, a church in a different context to the one he was in and facing unique challenges. Sadly, Paul never got to write a letter to Freedom Church Liverpool, but he did write a letter to a church in a place called Colossae in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And I think that this letter to the church in Colossae, that what we know is the letter to the Colossians, may well be the closest we can get to having a one-to-one with Paul in 2021. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at some similarities. First of all, Colossae, the church in Colossae, was one that Paul had never been to. He didn't plant the church, he hadn't visited it, he hadn't spent any quality time there, he didn't know the people there really at all. And so if you want to know what Paul would say to a church and a bunch of Christians who he'd never met, then this letter to the Colossians is probably as close as we can get. Another reason is that Colossae was probably the smallest and least significant church that Paul wrote to. It was a church probably a bit like Freedom Church Liverpool. We're not a famous church. We're not a massive church. We're not a mega church. We haven't got any celebrity pastors or leaders. No one really knows who we are to some extent. And so it feels like this was a sort of letter that might have been written to us. Another reason is that Colossae is actually a city that was once great, but by the time Paul was writing to it, was in, in a bit of decline. It had once been famous for its speciality wool, and it had been an important trade city, but over the years, over the centuries, it had seen its importance dwindle. It had started to be bypassed by other cities, which I don't know about you, but as a scouser, that kind of sounds familiar. See, Liverpool was once a great city of national and international importance, but actually over the years, its influence and status has sadly waned. Colossae also, like Liverpool, was a city full of spiritual distraction. Actually, a lot of the people in the city were caught up in angelic cult worship. It was a city where the worship of God often paid second or even third fiddle to other deities, other idols. I don't know if that rings a bell with you, but you know, in a city which is dominated by football, by pleasure, by hedonism, actually God does take a bit of a backseat in the city of Liverpool. This feels like another similarity there. It was also a letter written with a bit of a lockdown perspective. Now actually it's slightly different because in this situation it was Paul who was locked down. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. But he is writing also to a church that is facing some challenges. It's facing some persecution. It's facing some, uh, some teaching and influence on the outside which is threatening it and with new direction and wisdom are needed. And Paul wrote this from a position of being locked down himself and facing persecution. And finally, the reason why I think this is a bit of a link as well is because this letter is basically written as a direct response to a one-to-one with Paul. A guy called Epaphras was the man who started the church in Colossae. He was a native of Colossae and he was the one who planted the church. And this letter comes about because Epaphras visited Paul in prison. He visited him and said, look, I want to tell you all about this church. I want to tell you all about what's been happening there. I want to tell you all about how we've the journey that we've been on, and I want to ask you for some help. Epaphras got to have his one-to-one, and Paul wrote this letter in response. All of this is enough to make me think that this really could be a useful and timely letter for us to study as a church together. When Epaphras visited Paul, he told the story of how the church had started and grown, but how they were facing present challenges. 
present frustrations. The church was susceptible to false teaching and distractions and temptations of the culture around it. And that's very much like our church here in Liverpool. We've, we've made a good start. We've enjoyed the planting process we are established now, but we are facing all kinds of pressure in the society around us. Members of the church in Colossae have been distracted and tempted by additional false teachings and distortions of the gospel from a range of angles, some Jewish, some pagan, some folk religion, all of them encouraging to think, you know what, there's more to life than this God stuff. You need more than Jesus. You need other stuff as well. Check this stuff out. And so as we read this letter together over these coming weeks, I want you to try and imagine that this letter is Paul's response to our own request for a one-to-one with him. Imagine we've just visited Paul's jail cell and we've said, Paul, help. We're seven years into our journey as a church. We're facing unprecedented uncertainty and danger from all sides. Give us some wisdom. What encouragement do you have for us? How do we emerge from our own lockdown period and play a role in this world which really doesn't want to know the God that we worship? We've just spent several weeks reminding ourselves of the importance of God's beautiful, amazing church. And now we want to spend some time with Paul from the scriptures, thinking about what are our our priorities as we come out of lockdown, as we emerge from under this kind of locked down status and get back into the world. What are our priorities? What would Paul say to us at this time? Now, we're going to unpack this over several weeks, but I want to tell you the key message really of this whole book is simple, to be honest. In the face of Paul's imprisonment, in the face of rising persecution, in the face of creeping pressure to abandon the gospel and adopt the ways of the world, Paul's message to the Colossians is this, Jesus rules. Jesus is everything you need. Don't get distracted. Live for him alone. Essentially, he's saying, don't be fooled by the world. You need to live like you know that Jesus is King. I really believe that studying this together right now is potentially as significant for us as Freedom Church Liverpool in 2021 as it was for this church in Colossae in 50 or 60 AD when it was written. Freedom Church, we've made a great start. We've gathered this wonderful family of believers. We've set out on a mission to love Liverpool together. We've been motivated and inspired by the gospel of Jesus. But we do face key challenges. We face a society that is telling us our message is out of date, that Jesus is irrelevant, even untrue. We're told to just go with the flow, to adopt and adapt what society says is truth. We're told to swim with the tide, to comply with the ultimate authority in our life, which is society in general, or risk being cancelled and shut down. I've been watching a lot of The Chosen over lockdown, a brilliant TV series about Jesus and the way he gathered his followers and the story and, uh, of his life, really. And I love some of the merchandise that they've actually put out. Hopefully you can see a couple of pictures of it here, but there's one piece of uh, a hoodie that I really like, which is a picture of a load of fish swimming in the same direction, but facing the other way are just 13 fish swimming against the tide, of course, representing Jesus and his 12 disciples. There's another phrase that Jesus utters in the series, which is get used to different. And the whole theme of, of, this, of this amazing TV series and of course of the gospel is that as Christians, we are supposed to act and to look and to be different from the world around us. If we stand out, then that is good. Like Jesus, our role is to humbly 
and lovingly stand out from the world, to ruffle feathers, to share what is an offensive message to people, that we are sinners in need of God's forgiveness. We mustn't do this judgmentally. We mustn't over-emphasize that whole judgmental strain that we sometimes see in Christianity. We mustn't just go around telling people how awful and terrible they are and, and, share, and how great we are. No, it's about saying, guys, we all are sinners in need of, a, of the love of a forgiving Father, humbly and with care. That is the message we need to stand up and deliver to this world. And for the past year, as a church, we've been unable to do that physically, but we are coming to a point where we re-emerge. And last Sunday, we celebrated Easter Day, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And it's no coincidence now that we're launching into this book in Colossians because what we're basically saying here is we don't just want to be people who celebrate once a year that Jesus rose. We want to be like what Paul wants us to be in Colossians. We want to be people who live every day in the truth that Jesus is alive and reigning. Not just celebrating that it happened, but living in the truth that it is still true today. Colossians asks us, are you ready to stand up and stand out? Are you ready to be the ones who declare to the world that Jesus lives and reigns? And are we ready to live for his kingdom and his glory? Are we ready to show the world that because of Jesus' great love and mercy in our lives, that we fear nothing? That is the thrust of Colossians and I'm so excited that we get to study it together and that we can apply it to our situation here today. We're going to see amazing passages of extravagant, deep worship. We're going to hear words of wisdom and warning and encouragement. We're going to be challenged to live life very differently and we're going to be encouraged that in Jesus we have everything that we could possibly want or need in order to face life in this world today. I really do hope you enjoy us. Uh, enjoy coming with us on this journey through Colossians. So without any further ado, let's get going. We're actually looking at this amazing letter of Paul's. We're going to start at the beginning uh, with chapter one. And today we're going to cover verses one to 14. And I'll read it for you now. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is, it is bearing fruit and is increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, like most of Paul's letters, Colossians begins with Paul introducing himself and greeting this church. But these are not throwaway verses to quickly get past before we get to the real meat of the book, because actually contained in these greetings are the whole real thrust of the letter. We see Paul's whole attitude and message right here in these early verses. He wants to communicate them to, to the Colossians and to us. I'm actually going to start at the end of the passage today and kind of work backwards if you stick with me. And there's three things I really want to share with you today. I want to share one incredible fact. I want to share one big challenge. And I want to share one massive encouragement. So here we go. Let's start off with one incredible fact. And that fact is that a transfer has taken place. We're going to start in verse 13 and 14, which says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I hope you're ready for a classic Chris Butland football analogy. I'm full of them, I'm afraid. In 2004, I had the pleasure of marrying my amazing wife, Debbie, and we went on our honeymoon to Dublin. But if I'm absolutely honest, I must confess, I was a bit distracted on the honeymoon by what for me was some really bad news back at home. You see, at this time, 2004, Everton, my favourite football team, had a brilliant young footballer playing for them by the name of Wayne Rooney. Now, Rooney was a generational talent. He'd come up through the ranks at Everton. He'd loved Everton all his life. He was a massive Evertonian. He was one of our own, and now he was tearing up the Premier League. He was just one of the best players I've ever seen. But on my honeymoon in Dublin, 2004, the news came through that Manchester United had bought Wayne Rooney from Everton. And from the moment that the money was exchanged and the paperwork was signed, Wayne Rooney stopped being an Everton player and started being a Manchester United player. It was a done deal. Now just imagine for a moment if in Wayne Rooney's first match for Manchester United, they played against Everton. And imagine that as the players emerge from the tunnel, Wayne Rooney comes out with his new Manchester United teammates but he's wearing his Everton kit. Can you imagine the uproar? Can you imagine the farce and the chaos? He's transferred. He doesn't play for Everton anymore. He can't wear the Everton kit. He can't play against his new team, Manchester United. He doesn't belong to Everton anymore. He's a Man United player now. He can't play for Everton again. It's a silly example, but hopefully a really easy and vivid picture to understand. You see, in verse 13, we learn that even more definitively than a football player transferring from one team to another, a transfer occurs when someone becomes a Christian. Specifically, Paul tells us that when we become a Christian, we transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That is an incredible fact. The moment that we accept Jesus into our life, the moment a person trusts that the sacrifice that Jesus has made for them uh, entitles them to become part of God's family and be forgiven of all their sins, a transfer happens from darkness to light, from death to life, from mourning to dancing, from despair to hope. It's a fundamental change. 
And a bit like Manchester United paid a transfer fee to Everton in 2004 for Wayne Rooney, God paid a transfer fee for us. Wayne Rooney didn't have to dig into his own pockets to fund a move from one team to the other. And we don't dig into our pockets to move from the domain of darkness to the, to the, uh, the kingdom of his beloved son. God paid the price for our transfer from darkness to light. He paid the price in the death of his one and only son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And that moment when Wayne Rooney moved from Everton to Man United, he stopped playing for Everton. He stopped wearing their kit. He stopped scoring goals for them. His old life as an Everton player was over and he's on a new team, Manchester United. And it is the same for us. The moment we transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, we're supposed to stop living in that old domain. We're supposed to stop acting like we still belong over there. We're supposed to stop living by the rules and codes of the domain of darkness and start living like people who belong in this new kingdom of God's. There's a way of life that belongs to the old domain of darkness and there's a way of life that belongs to the new kingdom of light. And when we're transferred, we stop one and we start the other. We're going to unpack this a lot more as the series goes on. In fact, when we get to chapter three, we'll start to look specifically at exactly what that looks like. What are the things that belong to this old domain of darkness? And what are the things that belong to this new kingdom of God's son? We'll see the difference between things like anger and malice and lying and sexual immorality over here compared to things like compassion and kindness and purity and patience and forgiveness and love over here. But the key thing to understand, this incredible fact that I just want you to grasp this morning, is that if you are a Christian today, a transfer has taken place. You no longer belong to the old domain of darkness. You belong to the new kingdom of God's son. And that is what this letter is all about. It is about living life right here, right now, like you've transferred already. Like you've transferred to this new kingdom of God's son. You don't live in this old domain anymore. You live over here and it's about living that life now, not waiting for heaven, but living it here and now. The transfer has already happened. That's the challenge of Colossians. That's, and that's the big important fact we need to grasp at the start of this section today. So there's the important fact, the transfer has happened. I said the next thing was an, a, a big challenge and here it is. We've had our incredible fact. Let's work a bit further backwards. Let's look at the big challenge. In the lead up to verses 13, 14, actually what we see, verses three to 12, is Paul praying two different prayers. The first prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving, verses three to eight. Paul basically says, I pray all the time, thanking God for what he's done for you. And then the second prayer from verses nine to 12 is Paul saying, this is what I'm praying for you going forward. This is what I'm asking God to do for you next. So in this first prayer, he's basically saying how pleased and how thankful he is to hear of the story of the Colossians so far. We see this familiar trio in verses four to five, the classic Bible trio of faith, hope, and love. Paul is thankful for the Colossians' faith in Jesus, and he's thankful for the love they show to one another as a result of it. And he's thankful that that faith and that love is built on the foundation of hope that all of us Christians have in, in eternity with God. Paul is just buzzing that this young church has heard the gospel and has responded to the fact that Jesus has died for them and set them free and that they are, and, and that they are now united with their heavenly father. And they've responded with love. They've responded because of the preaching of Epaphras. 
and 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 he's encouraging as well guys you know what what's happened in you is happening all over the world he says in verse 6 the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world just as it is in Colossae and you know what Freedom Church Liverpool I think Paul would write a similar message to us here today he would thank God for our response to the gospel for our love for one another And he'd also remind us that even though we might look at the world in despair sometimes, we might look at our city and our country and think it's going to the dog spiritually, but he would say to us, guys, you know what? The gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel is exploding all over the world. There are more Christians walking the earth right here, right now today than there have been at any moment in history before. Be encouraged, don't despair. That's the reason we're still here. That's the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet because God wants as many people as possible through history to have the opportunity to respond to his love and get the chance to spend eternity with him. And we have a role to play in that. We get to be the ones who communicate that truth to people, that the truth of God's love is there for them. Thank you, Lord, for involving us in that. So Paul prays that prayer of thankfulness constantly, thankful for the gospel response and ministry of all the churches. But then in his second prayer in 9 to 12, he tells them what he's praying for their future. And it's a classic Pauline, long, convoluted sentence full of commas and clauses and semicolons. But basically the essential challenge of it is found in verse 9 to 10. This is the big challenge. He says this, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work. In other words, now that you know the truth that that transfer has been made, live in such a manner that it's obvious that that's happened. Now, this is a big challenge for the Colossians and for us because we are surrounded by temptation. We're surrounded by the worldly things. We're surrounded by strong influences and false teachers. We are a minority group that is effectively swimming against the tide of culture. It's not easy. And I wonder if I asked you this morning how you feel you're getting on. Think back over the last month or year or week or whatever and ask yourself this question. Have you walked in a manner worthy of the Lord? Has your life been fully pleasing to him? Have you borne fruit in every good work, as it says in verses 9 and 10? For me, there's some moments where I can say, yeah, I have done some really good stuff. And there's other moments where it feels like, to be honest, I've put my old kit on and I've started scoring goals for Dominion of Darkness FC all over again. I've got to be honest. As you read these words, you may feel a bit of conviction and a bit of pressure. This is tough. It is a big challenge. And it's why Paul prays so earnestly for the Colossian church. And if he was here today, he would be praying so earnestly for us in our situation. He'd be praying hard because it's flipping important. We are called to live differently to the world because God wants us to display to the world that there is a better way to do life and that there are such benefits and joys of living for him. And so when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, when we bear fruit, when we are strengthened with all power, as it says in the passage, and when we are able to endure life with patience and joy, we receive all these amazing benefits and when and we display something to the world and the world sits up and take notice and more people want to know who Jesus is and what he's done. But if we keep living our old lives, if we don't live like that transfer has happened, then we just look no different and we give nobody any cause to think that Jesus is worth following. So there's been a big transfer and then Paul gives us a big challenge to live like that transfer has happened because it has That's a big pressure and a big challenge. But finally comes the big encouragement. And that is this. It's not all riding on us. Maybe 
we've not been so good at living a life worthy of the Lord. Maybe when you look at our lives, as I say, we've been called to bear fruit and to be strengthened with power and to enjoy patience and joy. You think, Do you know what? I can't. It's too much. It's too difficult. It's beyond me. But I want to encourage you there. You're right. It is beyond you and me. Because if we try our best to live lives worthy of the Lord and produce all these things by ourselves, we will fail. And that is why this whole passage of Paul bringing us this challenge is framed as a prayer, not as an instruction, not as a command, but a prayer. Paul prays this over the church because he knows that the ability for all this stuff to happen comes from God and not from us. Specifically, the ability to live worthy lives, to bear fruit, comes from the Holy Spirit living in us. We can make a really simple and obvious connection here. The language of fruit is the tip off. It's a tip off that responsibility lies not with us, but the Holy Spirit, because some of Paul's most famous teaching is that in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you map this prayer from Colossians against Paul's overall teaching on the Spirit, it becomes clear that we are not intended to strive and struggle to live lives worthy of the Lord in our own strength. We are to go on a journey filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and to allow God to produce these things in us. So where Paul prays for us to bear fruit, he is asking us to rely on the Holy Spirit, the great fruit producer. When he says that we might be strengthened with all power, it's immediately followed with by his glorious might. And that glorious might comes to us through, guess what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit who Jesus promised to his followers, saying that they would receive power when the Spirit comes. And when he prays that we might have endurance with patience and joy, he's not telling us that we need to grit our teeth and to grin and bear whatever happens in our lives in our own strength. He is praying that we might know the reality of the Holy Spirit supernaturally working through us to produce these very things, patience and joy and peace as fruit in our lives. Even when everything happening in our lives might suggest that we should be feeling something very different. Folks, these prayers of Paul do not say, you must achieve the impossible in your own strength and feel guilty if you fail. No, they say this, they say, God, thank you for what you've done in transforming the lives of your people. Now please, by your spirit, help them to continue living transformed lives which show the world that you are on your throne and that you are the number one thing in their lives. I hope that's clear to you this morning. The start of this letter and the whole letter contains a great fact that we've transferred from one kingdom to another. A great challenge to live lives worthy of the Lord, but a huge mega encouragement that we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're excited that as we start to emerge from our lockdown state over the coming months, that what we're reading here in the Colossians is the kind of message that Paul would want to give us. He would want to thank God for the work that God that has already been done for us in Jesus. And he would be calling us to live spirit-filled lives that stand out to the world knowing that Jesus is on his throne and he has transferred us into his kingdom. Freedom Church Liverpool, are you ready to live 
spirit-filled lives, worthy of the Lord, that shout to the world that Jesus is alive, that he reigns and that he's in control. The world is crying out for that message. It's time to break cover, to come out from under our rock and to dive into this. Hope you're excited.